Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free gift for you on how to scale your agency to multiple six and even seven figures and beyond by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself from the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. Again, that's 720-792-8036. Just text the word freedom and I'll send you the free gift on how to achieve freedom in your agency and life. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. We're hanging out with Andrew Lee Miller, aka Andrew Startups. He is a 15-plus year early stage startup marketing expert who has driven over 400 million in Startup Exit. He's also the founder of Growth Experts, an award-winning San Francisco-based startup marketing agency and the author of the Startup Growth Book. He teaches startup teams the growth hacking mindset, zero-dollar growth hacking strategies, and how to not fail as an early-stage startup. Andrew, welcome to the program. Dude, Brent, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So let's first talk about your agency, the Growth Experts. Like, how did that start? What, how did that come to be? Yeah, as you so eloquently said, I drove a bunch of startup exits. The last one was a 500 startups incubated company in Silicon Valley. And I was like, man, you know, there's some common thread between these last few exits, me, you know, and like not to be super arrogant, but, you know, I love hearing people say experts better than when you say it than me. But basically, I uh, drove another exit and I you know, poured my life and soul into one company for two and a half years to drive them to exit. And the result wasn't financially as uh, beneficial for me as I had expected from the beginning. And uh, I thought, you know what? I want to do this as a consultant. I, I really like you know, not ethical non-monogamy as a personal <laughs> side and on a professional side. And I thought, you know, this it'll be really fun and exciting to wake up every day and solve a bunch of problems for a bunch of different companies. And uh, I quickly realized, you know, there's two types of people in marketing, people who've taken full-time jobs and have maybe five to 10 projects in their entire career. And then the agencies and freelancers that work on hundreds of projects over the course of their career. And I want to be with the multiple, multiple company experience. So that's why I did it. That's cool. I I hear a lot of people say that they want to work with startups and it's always one of those markets. I'm not going to say like I cringe from it, but I think you've got the, (laughs) the, you know, because I think there's a lot of startups that, you know, don't have money. I mean, you're obviously qualifying this as they're funded startups. They're funded, they're startups that have taken some kind of investment capital. But I also hear people that they have a hard time kind of breaking into that part of the market. Like finding startups that don't have money is easy. Uh, finding startups that actually are, are funded is maybe a little bit harder. How, how did you find that, that um, traction? Oh, man, you hit the nail right on the head. And, you know, like I kick myself a lot for wanting it to support startups and for loving them so much because you're right. It's not something you should do just if, for money. Because they're not, you know, I've had some really big clients before. I've worked with Patch Group and BBVA Bank, and they pay way, way better. And if you're doing your marketing agency just for money, you might be doing the wrong thing in the first place. I think the happiest people in the world 
do what they're passionate about. And I realized through creating my own startup and, and making it successful at an early age that I'm really passionate about startups and I'm really only passionate about the marketing and the growth and the GTM launch of them. I'm not passionate about building marketing teams, late stage advertising, you know, like uh, the things that companies do when they've raised, you know, B and C and D rounds. That's not me. So I focused on my passions and, you know, the, <laughs> the funded keyword was thrown in there after a lot of heartbreak and pain for a while. But basically, Growth Experts was born to, to help this problem that I was seeing myself um, with a lot of companies that my friends were having, with VCs that I saw, with clients that I was freelancing for after this exit, this last exit. So I think the best startups are born out of your own problems and problems that you see and just trying to solve a problem. So the first thing was I saw companies getting recently funded especially when they're product-focused teams, engineer founders, and they either do nothing, they waste a ton of money on paid advertising, thinking that that's what they're supposed to do because that's the advertising that we all see. Oh, you need to boost this post. Oh, you need to run this campaign to grow your business. Or they hire a recruitment firm, spend a ton of time and money trying to hire internally, then don't know how to manage those people. Or you know they hire a bunch of agencies that they still need to manage. So Growth Experts was born as a temporary solution for six to twelve months after you get funding. To you can hire us and we'll do everything. Literally, even setting the strategy based on our fifteen years of experience of what's worked previously. And at the same time, as you so eloquently put it, a lot of bootstrap startups would reach out like, "Oh my God, we need this. Oh, it's fifteen thousand dollars a month. Oh, we can't work with you." And then we, they'd go away. But I'm like, oh, your project's so interesting. I, I really know that we could crush it for you. Or I'd get really attached to the founder uh, and their mission and want to make change. And so I started a bootstrap coaching program. So it doesn't make me a lot of money. And it ends up you know, not always working out ideally for the founder because majority of the time, or about 55 to 60% of the time, they find out that they were way off with their product market fit expectations. Mm and they end up failing. But it's a quick program to make them realize how to get a bunch of people in the door, how to prove out the product, and how to learn whether or not they can make it to that next level. And still, you know, 40 or so percent of people do actually generate enough revenue that where they don't even need funding or they get it one way or the other. So I do want to help both. But Growth Experts itself is not for the, the very, very early stage. Uh, we do get a lot of serial entrepreneurs that are self-funding the project. You don't need millions to get your project off the ground with growth experts, but you do need like 80 to 100K. Hey, what's up agency owners? I wanna let you know about a hosting platform that is giving digital agencies and creators around the world an edge when it comes to site speed, scalability, and profit. It's called Cloudways, and it's designed to create exceptional experiences for you and your clients that guarantees unmatched performance, reliability, and choice with 24-7 award-winning support. Cloudways is excited to offer our listeners a $50 hosting credit in addition to their amazing benefits of their agency partner program. For more details, head over to yougurus.com slash cloudways or use promo code DASCW when signing up. Let's get back to our show. Paint me a picture of growth experts as it is today as an agency. What's like how many people? Like what's the dynamic of the team? Yeah, so we have two full-time people that are on project management, myself as the CEO, I still really love execution, which I don't know anybody my age and my my um, time in the industry that still does. You know, I think that's another unique selling point of working with us is I still love doing a lot of the. So I don't know if you can cuss on this podcast, but 
you know, so I roll my sleeves up and get in with a lot, but we also have a couple project based channel managers. Um, you know, like for instance, I love paid user acquisition. I've spent over almost $15 million for various clients, but it does take, uh, you know, 24 seven focus to really be successful at paid user acquisition. So we have a channel manager that handles our paid user acquisition and I just oversee that. So it's really boutique. Um, we're not focused on scaling to like, you know, dozens of clients. We work with, you know, less than a handful of clients a year. That's why we keep the price tag pretty high. And uh, pre-COVID, it was all San Francisco based. You know, you help this VC's client, uh, uh, this VC's um, investment scale to exit, then they, you know, generally recommend you quite ferviously, if that's a word, fervently. And, uh, that network has spread all across the US, but we still really don't do any outbound marketing. It's all um, you know, content, awards that we've won, word of mouth, you know, people finding us through Google search, and uh, we're able to keep a small team that way. That's awesome. So in terms of like relationships with VCs, for example, I mean, I, I know people that it, it sounds like a logical step, right? Like, hey, I want to work with venture-funded startups. I should probably go build relationships mm-hmm. with venture capitalists. I I feel right. like there's this, you know, uh, like image that comes to mind of these like rich bankers and like rooms with like cigar smoke and like whatever. Like I, I, I'm sure that's not like it's not that that's not the reality. It's actually right? yeah. But but like how do you how do I mean was it just your experience in a scale to exit story that helped you build those relationships with the VCs or is there anything that you've done proactively to build and nurture those relationships? Yeah, well, you know, anybody that's listening that's been in Silicon Valley or San Francisco pre-COVID knows like you used to be able to like literally ride the train home at night and I'd see a guy with a shirt that had a logo and I'd Google the name of the startup and see that they raised 5 million bucks. Like, hey man, what's up with this startup? I saw you just raised. Oh yeah, I just got this funding. I'm 20 years old or whatever. And like it was, you could, you joke, you could throw a rock and find a potential client. That's how problematic the marketing sphere is for for product focus and engineering focused founders a lot of people are lied to and told that uh, the product's going to market itself but you still need you know some groundswell you need to do something to create that word of mouth and whether it's pr paid user act abstract optimization etc so i think vcs understand that or understood it faster than a lot of their first time founders and so some of it was just through networking events and from you know, like I said, word of mouth of, oh, Andrew bootstrapped this startup's exit. I mean, the startup bootstrapped their exit because of this weird marketing guy that, and they didn't even have a product and they still sold the company for 7 million bucks or whatever it is. This, you should really talk to this guy. And so that was the genesis of it. And, you know, it's funny you talk about like the cigar smoke thing because I thought of an actual event that I went to. Like there's a uh, private club in San Francisco that I won't man it, won't mention that you know, like ended up at one night and, you know, you pull a book out of the wall and a door opens and it's all like these guys in suits playing guitar, singing and like literally smoking. I don't know what. <laughs> and uh, there did did some cool co- uh, conversations and clients did come out of that random uh, happenstance meeting. So there is some of that. But since then, you know, like uh, COVID so it's a hit literal, us by surprise. Like yeah. secret back rooms through a bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. 
So like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so yeah, if our listeners yeah, are out there the thinking club, that that back some backroom deals are happening, there's there there are those places. I mean, I, I don't know if that still exists post COVID. I'm sure that club is still there. It was funded by uh, I think the founder of um, Yammer. Yammer, if you remember, sold to Microsoft for like 900 mil. He bought like a warehouse and made this private members club that you can now Google probably for listening to this. But so there was things like that. And obviously it's expensive enough club to where everybody's usually got an exit already or is a VC or something. So that was there in the city. And there was definitely a reason why a lot of investment comes there. It was something like 70% pre 2016 or something of, of tech investment was still in that one location. But I also think it was because people that move there are already late enough stage with their company. You're moving there to, for a reason. It costs a lot of money. And so San Francisco is one part of that, but COVID hit us by surprise. We weren't, we were really not arrogant, but really confident at that point, you know, like it was all referrals. And then, you know, those referrals kind of dry up, you know, funding dried up for a little bit. So we did do some outbound stuff for the first time and we did not run paid ads. I think we did some, some sponsorships of some search related things like, uh, um, you know, the Yelp of a- agencies, which I won't name that I'm sure a lot of people know already on here. We uh, had we a very good relationship with them for years, w- won a couple awards from them. And so we got some sponsorship to be the top for startups. We're the only one at the time that we want to focus on startup keywords. And they were like, no one searches for that. It's only like 60 page views a month. Well, put us number one, whatever it costs. And then obviously you get some really good traffic through that, even though it's only 60 page views a month. So that's one thing we did. And then the other thing we did was really outreach. So we did do outreach to VCs. I don't recommend it. I think they get hit up a lot. And uh, you know, you reach out to 500 or 1,000 VCs, you get about 10 responses. And it leads to, okay, yeah, that's cool. We'll let you know. And we have a really good project. And then maybe one comes in within 12 months. It's not something that you can really promise to people. I mean, even though we have great case studies, even though we've got made a name for ourselves, we have excellent reviews online. You know, if they don't see the proof in the pudding themselves, so that that can be a hard thing to get in the door. And maybe offering something to do a project for free or something, you, you could get in that door. But that's not where I'm at in the stage we're at. Yeah. Well, it's been a. Uh, I mean, obviously, you mentioned COVID as a as a potential challenge. I mean, it sounds like that wasn't a an easy you know pivot of you know your existing relationships not having the funding or, or things like that. What what other challenges have you had going from inside the startups to an outside consultant that's now you know working with them at more of a, a contract basis? Oh wow! Uh, well, going all the way back to like 2016 or so and becoming a consultant, I don't think there was any downside. To be honest, like you take away all the BS of being in an office, and I we were fully remote from the very beginning, and that was a challenge convincing people that remote was okay. This guy's in freaking South Africa or Morocco. I don't get it, you know. But then I had a client in Australia. I had a client in uh, the, in New York and I never met them for like nine months and we scaled them to millions of dollars in revenue. And, and, and uh, you know, end up one of them, the one in Australia has now raised over a hundred million dollars. And, you know, we only, we only met for a week after nine months. And, you know, so I always believed in remote from the very beginning, but that was a challenge from the very beginning is, you know, almost I had no social media presence personally. I could never post any of my travels because clients would be like, this guy's not working. He's on, he's at a party tonight. But, you know, now people understand that it's all results oriented, you know, like that actually, it saves you money in the beginning, not working with an agency that's all about the pomp and huge offices and stuff, but also 
it's, you know, we're really focused on driving results and uh, doesn't necessarily mean 24-7 grind if you're efficient and effective and know what you're doing. So that was a challenge early on. But I, I saw the opposite, really. Like being in the office, it's what you wear, who you talk to, what time you leave. Like the optics of being in the office was ridiculous and full-time role, especially for marketing. Like our numbers should be the only thing that speak for, as to how hard we're working. Not anything else, you know? And so I actually really like being a consultant more because I feel a lot more confident about my numbers and my abilities to get them than I do my wardrobe choices and my, you know, like uh, late nights in the office. I do do those also too, but it's easier when you're at home, right? So, but post COVID challenges, obviously, remote work was no longer a challenge. I think it's really that we were very high ticket item for companies. Like we had two clients that had raised a total of 20 something million and we grew them. I think we'd only worked a few months before COVID hit and we'd grown them considerably. I think one client, we got them in Forbes and TechCrunch. We lowered their CAC like 700% and they still went away because of the, the, that, uh, you know, we were 20 some thousand dollars a month doing all these marketing things. So the challenge for me was people are more money scarce, even if they're if they, if they've raised it, it's a different time. So we've actually kind of focused more on a lower ticket fractional CMO stuff than this full stack will do everything for you solution. So that was a pivot that was uh, uncomfortable in the beginning because you know I know you need all these things, but okay, we'll start at 7500 and we'll do, we'll focus on the lowest hanging fruit, you know, like the things that are going to drive the business goals and the KPIs right away. And then we'll expand the engagement as we get into it. So that was, you know, had to kind of swallow um, um, uh, the ego pill or whatever they call it, you know, the <laughs> pride pill there for a second, like, um, and really adapt to that market. And so that was tough, but it worked. Yeah. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at E2MSolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. It sounds like you spend a lot of time in the numbers, which is good from a performance marketing company right, standpoint. Right. Uh, I mean, what are some of those key numbers that you find clients like to hear and see about, right? Because I think it's one thing to like, I mean, you go to any marketing agency's website and it's like, ah, you increase this by 500%, decrease this, but you know, like the, the numbers are there. But what do you, how do you personally go in and tell a compelling story to clients around the numbers? Like what are some of those key numbers that you talk about? And also like, what's the context that you help create with the clients? Yeah, wow. Well, unfortunately for me, there's not a lot of replication between each client, you know, like that's why I really pride ourselves on, you know, we're not industry, uh, we are industry agnostic. It's just about like the phase. So we work a lot in like SaaS, obviously, 
But even before that, I was all pure B2C as a marketer for the first two exits in the first 10 years of my career. So I work a lot in online dating and social media. And there's obviously not a lot of parallel between the two of those or connection. So it's really based on what they're looking for right away. Obviously, everyone's like, we want to grow. We want to scale. We want app installs. We want customers. Um, but you know, some SaaS companies are pre-product and they just want to get their foot in the door with potential customers so that they can find get feedback. Um, so the meetings are the main KPI for them. So I would say meetings booked is the strongest KPI for early stage B2B companies. If they're a little later stage and you know, like we're about to kick off a PR engagement for a startup that's already raised considerable funding in San Francisco, they only want PR. They need brand presence and uh, uh, online presence that's going to solidify them to the next valuation. So they need us to get them in Forbes and TechCrunch and to really create a story that's valuable for the media. So the KPIs there are obviously targeted earned media for them. So that's different. But you know, like if uh, you're a B2C company, it's obviously like, you know, if you're a mobile app, you're, you know, I've got a dating app that's self-funded by a successful crypto guy. And uh, he's looking at app installs, you know, vanity metrics like social media followers, the amount of impressions that they can get on their social media is actually important to him. So it changes from founder to founder, you know, based on the goals of the founder. But for me personally, you know, I want us to be a revenue generating expense as quickly as possible. So I look deeper down the funnel um, to see, you know, like, are you getting a strong return from working with us? And if they're, it also can be like we need traction, Andrew, to be able to raise funding. So, is is are we providing the the metrics that they need to be able to have those good conversations with VC? So it changes a lot. Most of the clients lately have really been B two B. I think it's just in post COVID world, it's easier for them to get funding. It's easier for them to prove out their business model, and marketing is a lot more replicable. So it's you know it's uh, meetings, sales, revenue, and you know leads a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dude, this has been super fascinating. I love hearing the journey of uh, of the growth experts and also what you're doing on the Andrew startup side and how you're helping out startups and uh, funded startups and, and maybe even some self-funded startups with your, your coaching program. Do you have time to stick around for some lightning round? Of course. Let's go. All right. Say what? no to a lightning round. <laughs> Sounds like amazing. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received. I had a, one of my very first clients, billionaire guy in Prague, uh, who had no business being in tech. He's a huge landowner. I'm sitting in his literal 500-year-old chapel that he bought for his own cigar lounge. And I was like, give me, give me some life advice, one thing. And he was like, hear everything, listen to nothing. And that was it. And I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. Because, and that I've seen that really be a... Uh, an issue for early stage founders, as as you said, Brent, before the recording with VCs too, you get another person in your ear telling you what you have to do. You have to hear them out, but you don't have to listen to them. Obviously, if they're an investor, you might have to, but that's cha- that really changed my life because you know we can get distracted by people we look up to, and they don't have the exact same experience as you. They don't have your vision always, and I've seen two or three startups I know go out of business by you know listening too much to what other people say and not sticking to their own thing. So hear everything, but listen to nothing. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? 
I am. I have uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm extremely hyper and extremely hyper focused on things that I'm passionate about or the thing that's right in front of me, the shiny thing. So when I was younger, it was an absolute curse. But then when I found startups, it became like a superpower because I can work 18, 20 hours in a day and not even be tired if, if I'm super passionate about it. And I've definitely pulled 20 hour days on launch days and stuff and then like gone out afterwards and been like, fine. So I have an unreal amount of energy for the things that I love. And that's a, is a real gift. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you think our listeners would find valuable? Yeah, if you've got a marketing agency, um, you know, short term you need to go out and build leads, but long term SEO is just you know you got to find your niche. The more niche you go with an agency, the more valuable I think you can be. You know, like for us, we refuse to go focus on one specific niche of startups, which hurt us for a long time. But our our niche is early stage startups, and they're in, like Brent said, you know, it can hurt you revenue wise, but um, it's really fun and. So find your niche, focus on your SEO for that niche. And then after six months to a year, you'll get free leads for life. And and a tool that can help you for free is seoptimer.com. So it's S-E-O-P-T-I-M-E-R.com. You can literally type in the URL of your website and it'll give you a reading on your SEO. And you can... You know, if you are the web developer, you can take that word for word and fix all those issues that it says, increase that keyword density, build those links, do all that stuff, and you will um, you will do much better in SEO with no spend at all. And what book would you recommend besides your own, and why? <laughs> Damn it! Uh, so, on a personal level, I think everybody should read um, *Sapiens* by uh, Noah Yuval Hariri. Um, I think it's just an amazing book to really just realize, you know, things are larger than even the last couple hundred years of the American empire and things. So that on a personal level, on a uh, business level, I think, you know, if you're in marketing and you've got an agency um, and you haven't really built out a solid full scope of services, looking at reading the traction book that everybody loves, uh, the guy who started DuckDuckGo started it. If you're a marketer, you don't have to read that book. I mean, a lot of it was like, oh, I really do know a lot. Maybe I am an expert when I was reading it. But if you are you know, focused on one service and you want to add more to your, um, your services, reading that book and thinking about and looking at the things that you're passionate about, you can learn a lot. Very cool. Well, we will link out to Sapiens as well as Traction, the marketing book, not the book by Gino and the EOS team, but the marketing mm-hmm. traction book. If you look that up on Amazon or just go to our show notes page at ukaroos.com forward slash podcast, we'll link out to Sapiens and Traction on there as well as SEO Optimer. Optimer or whatever. Yeah. Uh, dot com. We'll also link out to that on our show notes and also have other takeaways, nuggets quotables uh, from this episode with Andrew. So check that out, yougurus.com slash podcast. Andrew, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have they can check out? Absolutely. So as Brett mentioned, if you go on Amazon or Audible and you search The Startup Growth Book, you'll see the book I wrote that goes through how to do your own marketing. Uh, If you just started an agency, we have a lot of agency owners that buy the book as well and learn how to offer SEO as a service, how to offer PR as a service from that book. Uh, you can also find me at andrewstartups.com or andrewstartups on all social media. Awesome. We will link out to your book 
the Startup Growth Book and are in our show notes, as well as Andrew Startups and your agency, the growth experts. We'll link out to everything. If you want to become a super everything. fan of Andrew Startups and everything that he's doing, uh, check out check out yougurus.com forward slash podcast if you're on the road and uh, you don't have a chance to write that down. Just go to our website, click on podcast. If it's week of, you'll see Andrew's picture right up there at the top. Click on him and you'll find all this stuff, all of his social profiles and much more on that uh, show notes page. So Andrew, mm. this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you for stopping by the program. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. And that is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want this free gift all about how to scale to six and seven figures and beyond in your agency, just text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. That's the word freedom to 720-792-8036. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.